languages. They were hearing in their own native tongue. And this miracle was done. It got everybody's attention. And Peter begins to preach the gospel. He tells these folks, hey, the one that you've been looking for, the Messiah, he has come. God is fulfilling all of his promises. But guess what? You missed the boat. The very one God sent is the one you rejected and you crucified. And the message struck the people hard. And they said, what do we do? And he told them, these who had believed the message, he said, you guys need to repent of that sin, turn away from it, and, and trust in the Lord Christ. You need to be baptized, and you need to become a part of the church. And we, uh, we learned that on that first day, uh, that 3,000 souls were added, and, uh, and they were baptized. And I, I, I was reading something this week. I've just kind of always assumed that, uh, you know, that they confessed their faith that day, and and then somewhere along the way, they got baptized. That's just, I don't know, you just read things and you, you make assumptions. And then I was reading this week a, an author who said, he said, well, they were baptized that day. I mean, that, those 3,000, and they came and got baptized. And he figured out the time and all this stuff. And he said that for, um, that for those, if it was just the 12 apostles, if they didn't ask for any help of the 120 other believers, that to baptize those uh, 3,000 folks from the time that they would have started believing and, and being baptized, that they would have had to baptize 42 folks an hour for the rest of the day to get that done. Now, those were some tired preachers. Let me tell you, they were worn out. They got to work out that day. So this incredible thing has happened. And now if you've been wondering, Brother Tim, when are we ever going to get done with Pentecost? Okay, we're done with Pentecost. That's all happened. And, and we've now we are living in light of it. The church is here. It is growing. And so this passage that we're going to read today tells us once Pentecost happened and the early church begins, here's what the early church looks like. And I thought about reading verses 42 all the way to 47, uh, but I think we're just going to stop and camp out on verse 42 today. And um, Maybe that'll make the sermon a little shorter. We'll find out. But uh, we're just going to focus on this one verse. So if you would, please stand with me. And we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So, after all these 3,000 were baptized and added to the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us this. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. Let's go to the Lord. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Lord, we are a direct descendant. Father, we've come directly from that early church. We trace our lineage back, far more important than any lineage that is attached to our last name. God, we have a lineage. We have a heritage that began that day in Pentecost. And Father, because they went out and they spread the gospel and someone told someone who told someone who told someone else, here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe and we are worshiping the name of Jesus because the Great Commission has not yet been finished, because people are still sharing the gospel. And we are thankful for that, God. And Lord, as we get this little glimpse of the early church, Father, we pray that we will see what they were doing and uh, what they were about 
And God, that that would get us excited about what we should be doing and what we should be about. Lord, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In this one verse, the Bible tells us what the early church was focused on. Uh, This message could be entitled, The Action Plan of the Early Church. Because this was the things that, there were four things that they were committed. uh, Four commitments or four actions that they were determined that they were going to do. And it's interesting because we could pick out all sorts of things that when we're starting a, a new church, that we might say, well, these are the four really important things that we ought to do. You know, and someone might say, location, location, location. Make sure you, you buy a good plot of land in a place where it's a high traffic area, and then the church will really explode and grow. And someone else might say, well, you, might, you have to have the right kind of music, you know, and, and depending on who they are, the right kind of music is traditional or southern gospel or contemporary or whatever else. And, and, and then we have, might have other people say, uh, well, you know, you, you got to have the right type of organization, the, the right committee structure or team structure. And, and on and on we could go with the things that we would say, well, if I'm starting a church, here are the things I'm going to focus on. But the four things that the early church focused on, They are so simple and yet so powerful. We may look at them and we may say, duh. We may say, of course you ought to focus on those things. And yet the fact is that so often we can forget these very basic things that are fundamental to the health of any church. And so I want us to take just a minute to look at these four commitments of the early church. The first thing that uh, verse 42 tells us is that they were devoted or they were committed or some versions say they steadfastly continued. In other words, they did not give up listening to the apostles' teaching. The number one thing that the early church did is they made sure that they got good doctrine, good teaching. And folks, this is vital for us. If we ever get away, if the church ever forgets about good teaching, then it inevitably veers off into error, whether it be cultism, whether it be liberalism, whatever you want to call it. But some type of way, the church will veer off because what we'll do, if we quit listening to God's word, we'll start listening to something else. And it might be what grandma said, it might be what Oprah said, it might be what Dr. Phil or your favorite radio talk show or the politicians you like or your next door neighbor. But whoever, you're going to listen to somebody and if you forget listening to God, if you stop listening to what he said, in his word, then you're going to go astray because everybody else, we all make mistakes and God doesn't. When they were sitting here and when they were focusing on the teaching of the apostles, what is that? Well, it's what we have in God's word because what would the apostles have been teaching? They would have taken the Old Testament and they would have applied the New Testament teaching, what they were going to write and what we ended up getting later, they would have been teaching, now that Jesus has come, the Messiah is here, here's what you need to know. So our equivalent today, what you and I have to do, if we're going to be like this early church and devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we need to be focused on this word. We need to be focused on it here in the large group setting. We need to be focused on it in a small group setting. Here in our church, that's called Sunday school. And then we also sometimes have small groups on Wednesday nights. If you look at the early church, if you read a little bit further, um, 
they had that same type of thing. If you go read down through verse 47, you'll see that they were meeting in homes where they had kind of smaller group meetings, and then they were meeting in the temple where they would have had larger group meetings. And throughout the history of the church, churches that have been most successful have been those that had large group worship because there is, a, there is power in numbers as we all gather together, but then there is power in a small group where there is intimacy and when there is a close and tight-knit fellowship among believers. So being a part of both of those things is a wonderful thing. Now, I'll tell you this. I've talked to lots of folks over the years trying to get them involved in a small group or, or Sunday school or whatever, and some folks say, well, that's just not for me. Well, you know, I'm not going to tell you you're a bad, evil person if you don't go or that you won't go to heaven or anything like that. But I will tell you this, something that I have seen in my personal experience and something that I've seen backed up statistically by those who study these things. They say that a new member who joins the church and gets involved in a small group, Sunday school or otherwise, gets to really know a group of believers, there's about an 85% chance that they're going to stick, they're going to stay, they're going to feel connected in a part of the church. And they say that if that person never gets attached to a small group, then, the, then that drops way down to somewhere between 15 and 20% that, that they'll feel connected. And otherwise, they may say, well, you know, I'm here and there's nice worship, but they might not ever make those close connections. So I want to just invite you, if you're not already part of a small group, to say, if you want to get the most, if you want to get all that God intended and, and be there and really study the word in a way that you can't do in here. You know, in here, uh, I can talk, and that's pretty, that's pretty much it. You know, some of y'all answer back every once in a while, you know, um, but uh, not often. But you get in that small group, and lots of folks can interact. And I think that we all need both of those, as well as today, you know, what we have that they didn't have back then is our own copy of God's Word. Boy, I imagine those early believers, they would have done anything if they could have had what we have. A hard copy, something on your phone or iPad, whatever. We can read God's Word, and that is an amazing blessing. But devotion to the apostles' teaching. Uh, that was the first thing that tied this early church together. The second thing it says that they were devoted to was the fellowship. The fellowship. Uh, that Greek word was koinonia. And it originally described uh, slaves in the galley of an ancient ship who were all in there together, and they had to all learn to row at the same time. Because if they didn't learn to go in action together, then not only were they going to be in big trouble, but they weren't going to get anywhere if they all just had their own pace and their own cadence, and, and they just all tried to do their own crazy thing. They had to learn to work together. And so unity within the body of Christ was a major focus for the early church. They said, we want to have life in common. We want to share things. We want to be together. In fact, if you read on, and we didn't go all the way through verse 47, but you hear about these folks, they just kind of shared things. I mean, when they saw people in need, uh, they, they, they sold stuff and, and, and helped. I mean, they... They didn't even have this sense that, okay, everything I have is mine and nobody else can touch it. You know, it's kind of like um, when you're at home and, and you buy some milk and it's in the fridge. That's not mom's milk or dad's milk or this kid's milk. 
Now, every once in a while, we do have special things, right? We get, we get frustrated if somebody touches our snack, right? But most of the groceries in our house are for everybody in that family. Well, this church considered themselves to be family. And so they weren't so worried about this is mine and this is yours. It's just like, look, whatever we got to do. Now, the Bible never, like, commands that people have to live like this, but there was a very unique situation because, remember, we talked about these people coming from all different parts of the Roman Empire who had come together for Pentecost. Well, 3,000 got saved. I'm sure some of those were local Jerusalem folks, but many others were people who lived elsewhere, and they decided we need to stay. We need to hang out. We need to listen to this apostle's teaching and learn more before we go back home. And so this created a situation where everybody had to pool together and say, we've got to figure this out. It's kind of like when we had the sign-up list, you know, for Renaissance Choir coming. And we were like, what are we going to do? Who's going to sign up? Who's going to house these kids? How are we going to take care of them? And I imagine these discussions, you know, Peter probably had, here's a sign-up sheet, folks. Please sign up, you know. And, and, and they just decided, hey, we're going to pull together, and we're going to take care of these other believers And it's not so much about what's mine because I realize God gave me everything and it's all his anyway. And so there was this great sense of fellowship or of community, of life in common. That was the second action point uh, that they were committed to. The third one is to the breaking of bread, or in other words, to the Lord's Supper, to eating meals together. Uh, In the early church... These things would not have just been, you know, like tear off a little piece of bread or a little dry wafer or whatever, you know, your normal experience of communion is. They would have shared it together in a meal. In fact, it's fascinating if you go back and look at, look at church history. Over time, those things separated. Um, later on in the church, they, they ended up saying, okay, we'll do the Lord, what we kind of now call the Lord's Supper on Sunday mornings, and they would have these what they called love feasts on Sunday nights and kind of like a big fellowship meal. And then eventually, uh, somewhere around 700 AD, they, they did away with those uh, because there were some issues in the church. But once upon a time, the Bible says that these folks went from house to house and they broke bread together. And that is they had these meals in common. They shared uh, their possessions, their meals. Uh, they ate together. They celebrated the Lord's Supper together. It was truly a communion. It was truly a time of joining together in oneness with one another and with God. If we get away, um, like we said, from God's word, what do we do? We end up in error. If we get away from fellowship, then Christians end up isolated. They They end up disconnected from one another. If we get away from the Lord's Supper, then we forget about what the core of Christian life is all about. We forget about the cross. We remember it only just in a far-off, distant way. And we forget about that the cross and what Jesus did on that cross, that that is the center of, of all that we are as Christians, that he paid the price for us, but that is an empty cross that Jesus does not hang on, but we know that he is now resurrected, and we rejoice that one day we'll be with him in heaven. And so that th- third action that they devoted themselves, they said, We're not going to forget about it. We're not going to do it every just once in a while. But on a very regular basis, they came together and shared a meal, which would include uh, the Lord's Supper in that meal. Then fourth and finally, 
The last thing that they had was prayer. Acts 2.42, we said they joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. That last part sounds so basic. It sounds kind of plain in prayer. You know, we have these thoughts so often as Christians, we forget. It's like if we said, you know, I, I went to a roller coaster. I went up and I went down. You know, I mean, we take something that is exciting, that is thrilling, that is powerful, and we make it so dull and so commonplace that we forget that this is the thing that started the early church. Remember, Jesus said, you don't do anything until you come together with the Lord in prayer, and then when you've got together and communed in prayer, all of you together at the right time as you've prayed and got together and called on me, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then God is going to pour out his Spirit and do great things in this church. I'm going to do amazing things, but only when you first come together in prayer. And we think it's dull. And we think it's boring. Or we think it's something for super Christians to do. But for the early believers, it was at the core, at the heart of everything that they did, that they would join together with other believers. And they would pray. One of the most interesting things that I found in the ministry is the power of praying with people out loud. Pray. I know some of us are nervous. And so, you know, it's kind of hard for some of us to do. And and I'm not talking about a show kind of thing or anything, but what I've noticed over the years is praying with people, just out loud, praying for them or with them. Very oftentimes, even if we're not even discussing something super serious or heavy, when that, <clears throat> when that prayer is done, that person will be in tears. Because often they have been moved by the touch of the Holy Spirit. There is something powerful about having another believer. It's great when you say, I'm praying for you, and that's a wonderful thing, especially if you really are, if you really mean it and you're praying. That's a wonderful thing. But if you can pray out loud with someone, do it. I've often had people say to me, Pastor Tim, that's the first time anybody ever prayed out loud for me. And God does something through prayer, especially we can pray on our own and we should pray on our own, but praying with other believers is something powerful. There is something special about that. And that is what would, we should be about as believers, praying together, joining together. Now, I want you to think about these four things that we've talked about. Uh, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And there's something that binds all of them together. And that is that every single one of these things is related both to God. There's the vertical aspect, that is us and God. But then there's the horizontal, where it's us to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. The apostles' teaching. I'm listening to what God has to say to me through his word. But I'm doing it with other believers. And I'm going out and sharing with other believers. And, and even with non-believers. And I'm telling them what I'm learning. And I'm living it out. So that's here and that's here. Then there's fellowship. I am together with others. I'm in the same boat, right? 
I'm working together for the same cause. What is that cause? It's the cause of Christ. The source of my unity with, the believe, with other believers is not just because I like the style of worship or because I like that preacher or, or this a good location or whatever. The source of my unity with other believers is what we have in common with Christ. That core that holds us together is greater than any other bond that could hold anyone together. The Lord's Supper, obviously, we recognize Christ as the host. He there ministers to us, but we together take that with others. It's not a solitary thing. We join together. And so God strengthens us in our relationship with him and with one another. And again in prayer, we're addressing the Father, but we're doing so together as the body of Christ. So many people get disconnected. They think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing just fine because I believe. I, I don't hang out with other Christians much. I don't really meet with them. I'm not into that institutional church. This wasn't an institution. Folks, this was a relationship with the Savior and with his family. And those four things... That blueprint has been laid out for each of us as individual believers and as a church. No matter what else we're doing, no matter our strategy, no matter our uh, denomination, our style, or whatever, we ought to all be committed to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to life together, to worshiping God, remembering the cross, through the Lord's Supper, and through praying together. And as the book of Acts goes on, we see that God does amazing things because he works through his people. The Bible always says the Lord added. It wasn't that our effort, it wasn't the effort of the Jerusalem church. It was God's effort, but he blessed in response to the obedience of his people. And he will bless you and I today as we are obedient to him as well. Join with me in prayer. Father God, we come to you and we ask that you would place on our hearts a passion and a fire for your word. God, that we would desire to know you, not as, a, not as an academic subject, but Father, we would, we would read your love letter to us just as we would read uh, an email or a text or an old-fashioned love letter from someone that we are dying to hear from. Father, we would have that heart to get in and read your word and learn and know more about you because we love you. Help us to love your people to understand that we are not by ourselves, that we are our brother's keepers. Father, that we are connected. We do have a responsibility and a privilege being connected to the body of Christ. Father, help us to understand that sharing in all things, even especially in that holy meal of communion, God, that that is so important for us. It binds us together with you and one another, and you minister and strengthen us through it. Make that a priority for us, we pray. And God, for prayer itself, God, help us to understand that it's not about our actions, our abilities, our power, our talent. God, it's about your strength. 
Lord, in our weakness, you are strong. And God, we all have weaknesses and limitations. Give us the humility to admit those things and to call upon your name as God's people and say we as a church, worship a church, we have to know you. We have to experience your power for anything of eternal value to happen. God, sear these things into us. Write them on our hearts. Allow us to be committed to the things that please you. And Father, we humbly thank you in advance for the blessings that come as we simply follow your commands. Bless now this invitation we pray. God, we ask that your will would be done, that each heart that has been touched in one way or another, that they would respond to you. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of discipleship, it's your opportunity to respond to God speaking to your heart. That speaking may be that you're to come and to unite with our church today. It might be that you're to profess your faith in Jesus Christ, just like those folks on Pentecost Day who said, yes, I believe, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be to say, God has put something on my heart, a calling, and I'm surrendering to that calling. could be a burden that you just simply need to lay before the Lord. Whatever it is, you respond. Would you stand and respond as the Lord leads?